Very good morning. Uh, joining us here for the business of money, we have Joanne um, Benham from Sterling Wealth, Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss, and Lindsay Williams, Tricky Business Podcast. Gosh, Lindsay, I stumbled over the intro. You wouldn't think I've been doing this for 20 years. Well, you see, what you haven't been doing for 20 years is live television. I mean, okay, you, you do some, but uh, unfortunately, because of various things, you haven't been doing it recently. But it's just funny, isn't it, Bronwyn, that life goes full circle. We used to be on the old Summit TV four nights a week together and uh, live television. It was great fun. And now we went through that whole period of uh, uh, being apart, and now we're back again. Life goes full circle. And uh, Gary used to be on with us as well, I, th I think. And uh, just sorry, Joanne, I'm going to go to Gary first. It's it's the almost the end of the uh, earning season, Gary. And yeah, I know you're the sort of person that looks at every single stock and every single data point. So you must have been incredibly busy over the last two two to three weeks. Must be a relief that it's coming to an end. It definitely is. <laughs> so uh, these days, that you know, especially working with uh, local and international clients, uh, you know, you just can't cover everything. There's just too many companies, too many earnings releases. Uh, but you do get a general sense of what's going on. But yes, definitely a lot of sleepless nights over the last, so uh, you know, two two months. So. so we need to talk about Sibanya Stillwater. We had Neil Froneman. I don't think he knew it, but he was our first live ever guest on the Nielsen Network. And Lindsay, we, we co-hosted that last night. Uh, Gary, I'm going to stay with you just on Sibanya Stillwater's results. I mean, they shot the lights out, but the market wasn't impressed. And all you've got to think is, wow, investors are really greedy. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, you look at you look at what Sabania's done over the last. You know, well, I suppose since it, it spun out of Goldfields, and, and and what Neil and the team has done is just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, it's one of the best dividend-paying uh, you know resource companies. I say resource company because we used to just think of it as a gold company, but now it's you know a platinum company, and it's it's moving into kind of you know future materials like lithium and things that are going to be used in batteries. So so it's far more than than it ever was. Um, you know, it's it's you know everyone was very concerned when they obviously took uh, made that Stillwater acquisition. They took on a lot of debt, uh, but we saw in these results they continue to pay down the debt aggressively. They they're returning a portion of the the cash that they're generating to shareholders. Um, they're even buying back their own shares, as uh, you know, which which will be supportive of earnings later on. And you know, from our from our read of the results, by by all measures, this company is incredibly cheap. And uh, you know, I think a couple of decent sets of results like this one, and, and the market has to sit up and pay attention to what what's happening inside the business and and how successful this management team has been, um, and hopefully mark up the stock price on the back of it. Bronwyn, I'm sorry, Joanne. I know you you like to focus quite a bit on overseas stocks, but the, the Sabania Stillwater story is almost like a hybrid. So you get the best of both worlds. You get you get your gold, and then the platinum group metals, and also moving into green energy and battery technology, etc., or rather the elements that go into battery technology. So despite the fact that the share price didn't respond that much yesterday because it was all baked into the price. As Gary said, uh, debt was drawn down by a massive 44%. Free cash flow went through the roof. You must be look, look at this sort of stock and say, yeah, this is worthy of note. Surely, and it has to be. And I think classic yesterday was buy the rumor, sell the fact. You know, when the results come out, often companies fall just because everyone's priced in the good news. You know, you talk about ESG as being a factor. And I think just moving away from the company for a second, I thought Hendrick of Toys comments were very interesting this week announcing that if the South African government doesn't do something about its dirty coal, we're going to stop being penalised by countries around the world and have higher interest rates and a lot of our debt because we're not ESG friendly. 
We're one of the worst in terms of carbon emissions coming out of Africa. ESCOM is particularly bad. And I think that sort of if you've got platinum and you've got particularly lithium, which Gary was talking about, electric vehicles, those are very important things for the future. So yes, one can't ignore companies like that that are doing the right thing for the future. And I think, Joanne, let's just stay with that theme because Neil Froneman last night is saying that they would be reducing exposure exposure to, to South Africa. I mean, obviously their assets are, are largely here, but uh, we know that Neil has been very uh, outspoken about the South African business environment and uh, the general environment. Do you think that's a trend that we're going to see where it's not only the Hendrik toys of the world putting pressure on South Africa, but people just finding companies, finding it too difficult to operate here? Well, I mean, you just have to see the unemployment numbers that came out this week to show you what companies are really thinking. I mean, we had some of the, I think we actually had the worst unemployment numbers in the world. I mean, it, it does, not every country probably gives proper numbers, but we were out there in the Bloomberg survey. Our youth have got unemployment levels of 75%. And I think, as like I said in the intro to this chat today, that's a natural disaster. So yes, I think companies are voting with their feet because they're not employing people. We can see it in the numbers. They're saying we don't want to invest here. It's not investor friendly. They've got to make it easier for companies to, to run their businesses. And, and I don't want to get into a whole political discussion about it, but there are lots of things they could do to fix it. There are easy wins they could do. They could make you know, labor unions in this country, let's be brutally honest, have far too much power. And I think I've said before in lots of shows, a labor union should be illegal in a country with unemployment this high. So I completely get the rights of workers when you're fully employed. But when almost no one's employed, it's a ridiculous concept. I, I, sorry, Bron, I, I was watching Groundhog Day the other night on Dutch TV, and um, I just feel as though I've been hearing this for 27 years now. I've just heard the same thing again. Well, we can do this and we can do that, and there needs to be structural change. And we, our, our unemployment record is, is, is appalling. And it's too depressing to talk about. We need to get on to more cheerful things. And uh, Gary, I'll start with you because you've had a big smile on your face the whole morning. Um, I asked somebody last night at a big institution, I said, of all the stocks that you've seen in the last couple of weeks, their results, which one has, uh, has stood out for you? And he said, Ital Tile. And I, that was a surprise because he's normally sort of a big stock, large cap sort of chap. And, um, and that sort of ties in with uh, David Shapiro. And Bronwyn, you retweeted David uh, for his um, so-called uh, ventilator fund, which I named, by the way. And he says small caps rule. Are you seeing some good small and mid caps as well coming out? Uh, no, absolutely. So you, know, you look at the, the small and mid cap space in South Africa at the moment, I think finally we're getting a, a little bit of a catalyst uh, for, for movement. And that's essentially the acquisitions that are, that are coming into the small and mid, mid cap uh, segment of the market. So you know, if you look at the, the number of uh, small and mid caps that are currently under some sort of uh, buyout offer, um, it's significant. <laughs> so so my, my kind of worry around small caps, there's plenty of small caps out there that, that are incredibly interesting, have great business cases, are well run. I mean, the JSE did uh, obviously their small cap roadshow uh, this week as well. So they, they were you know featuring companies like Tremidor and uh, Tremerton, which uh, I, I knew very little about Tremerton before, before, before attending the, the course today. And they've got these uh, you know kind of almost like a, a, a Montessori uh, competitive school model to something like Curo. Um, um, but essentially, it's a it's a company trading. You know, if you look at its NAV, is above a billion, but its its, it's market cap is below 500, uh, 500 million. So, I mean, literally trading at half its NAV. 
Um, so there's some really exciting stuff in our small and mid-cap space. The problem with the, the companies, even when they generate great results, they just don't get recognition. You know, the South African market is so institutionally driven, and the big institutions just can't buy into, into companies with that kind of liquidity. But what we are now seeing is, finally, we're seeing a catalyst moving into the market, um, which is foreign foreign companies coming and buying them out and, and giving shareholders a, a decent exit point and, and kind of the opportunity to, to exit the stocks uh, you know, with a decent gain. I mean, and we can go through the list. I mean, Distel is obviously under, under talks with Heineken, in talks with Heineken at the moment. Uh, we've got Adapt IT, uh, you know, in talks um, uh, with Valaris, uh, you know, for, for and, and obviously that the competitor with huge group also looking to buy them out. You've got Imperial under, under offer, uh, you know, from Dubai. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it could be a very, very exciting space to, to answer your question. Uh, but the problem is it's, it's not really a sustainable space. Is it? They, they all end up delisted. Let's talk about the, the retail space. Uh, and Joanne, just generally, the South African consumer has been under pressure. Um, we see MassMart uh, coming out with dismal results. Woolies coming out yesterday. But just as a segue into the stocks which, which Gary can um, come in on, give me a sense of, of the robustness of the South African consumer as you see it. Oh, look, I... I don't really deal with that in my job. I deal with more with clients who've got money. And when we invest for them, we're saying to them, take your money offshore. And, you know, I think the small cap story is really interesting, right? It's a trade. Uh, you'll buy something really cheap and hope to sell it to the next person at a higher price. But ultimately, you want to be buying sustainable businesses with good revenues. You know, you don't want to have to only buy a cost-cutting issue or the hope that somebody offshore will buy your company. I get it. It's an exciting little space, but it's tiny in the JSE. In terms of the retail, in terms of the consumers in Africa, it's hard for them to be in a great spot. We've had, we're two years into COVID. Our GDP, yes, it's growing, but it's not going to get back to 2019 levels for how many years? Maybe three to four years? Contrast that with the states. It was really interesting last night. They came out with their GDP revised numbers, admittedly less than the market's expecting. But here's the interesting point. They're higher than their 2019 levels already. How many years will we take? So yes, we can talk about a few small cap stories and it's exciting and it might, if you're very lucky, be 2% of a client's portfolio. But the reality is, if you're looking after people's money, you've got to start looking where sustainable businesses are. And frankly, I think South Africa still struggles in that area, unless you want to have a lot of commodity stocks in your portfolio. Look, at the moment, great idea. These companies are spewing cash. <laughs> They're doing phenomenally well. But the reality is commodity shares are cyclical. So you know, you'd never put more than 20, 30% of your portfolio into commodities, it's just crazy. So yeah, opportunities, and I still think for clients, if you live in South Africa, if you look at a long-term plan, you have to be thinking offshore. Yeah, you do, and whether, whether they're cyclical or not, I think the key question here, Joanne, is whether they're super cyclical at the moment. Let's stick with retail with you, Gary, if you would, because I don't know about you, but I'm looking at this thing I'm wearing here, and I buy it at Woolies. You get to a certain age, where you just know exactly, it's almost like you're, you're programmed to go to Woolies and buy and buy boring stuff like this. I mean, Joanne and uh, Bronwyn both defy their ages, and they're going to much fancier places than the, the, the Woolies. But you and I, unfortunately, are on the slippery slope to just, yeah, exactly, exactly right. But they're more seriously. This is a Woolies jersey, what can I say? I can't disagree with you. It's a sad state of affairs. But Gary, tell us about the Woolies numbers, because the share price has gone from 40 to 60, let's say. That's a broad brushstroke. Does it go on from here? 
No, it's a, it's a very good question. So looking looking at Woolies, as you said, the share price has been absolutely astounding. And I kind of take Jan's point as well. You know, if you're looking at some of the South African companies, they're not particularly exciting. And if I was looking at a, a retail player, like you know, Woolies, Woolies isn't really sparking much interest to in me. I think there are much better options overseas. Of course, the, the problem is that, uh, you know, in South Africa, we can get fantastic tax rebates if we put the, put it into a Reg 28 structure. So, yeah, yeah, sure, discretionary cash take overseas. But uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to take advantage of all the tax benefits of a Reg 28 structure, you've got to have local stocks as well. And there you have to look for opportunities. Now, the question is, is Woolies an opportunity or not? So, as you say, the stock has run very, very hard, but but it's really the, the whole business is a, is a tale of the two the two segments, which is their apparel and their food. Their food is very, very strong. They haven't quite uh, you, know, you know caught up to what what Checkers and uh, these shop riders doing with uh, Checkers sixty sixty, but we see Woolies Dash and the, the online sales numbers look very, very strong. Um, and I think the food offering, you know, it's, it's showing growth and, and it remains it, may, it remains decent. Unfortunately, the apparel, while we bet probably, this is a Woolies jersey, as I said, uh, wearing yeah. it, it has really missed in a big way. It just hasn't hit the attention of, of consumers. So you see their fashion, beauty, and home space uh, down 11%. It, it's been very, very tough for them. And, you know, you look at this, and, and apparel is always a more, you know, hit and miss area. Food is kind of your stable portion of the business. Um, and apparel, you know, if you miss your fashion lines for the year, you're going to suffer. The problem is, it's not just about trying to capture the trends and oh, you know getting lucky. You know, the, the idea of bringing in the right fashion uh, for a retailer is an incredibly scientific approach. You know, it takes it takes systems that crunch an enormous amount of data on, on purchasing patterns of consumers, and, and it just feels like Willie does Willie's doesn't have the the, the right mechanism in, mechanisms in place. Um, they've been pushing the whole idea of David Jones. They launched in South Africa. They are taking a little bit of a bow turn, obviously under new management now. I mean, you know, there's a whole management shakeup in the company where you know they're, they're essentially planning to abolish the the, the um, SACO position um, the current SACO has been moved to the food business only uh, they're doing away with things like studio W the W collection I think Ari denim is also out so they're kind of trying to focus their offering but I get the sense that that, that Woolies is scrambling in the apparel space and they don't have that depth of knowledge uh, around the, the the data that is required to bring in the correct uh, fashion brands and hit, hit the right trends um, and that for me is a big concern around the stock. So, so you know, while you know, sometimes you are forced to buy retailers, for us, you know, if it's Woolies versus ShopRite, ShopRite is the, the clear addition to, to client portfolios currently. Sorry, can Jerry. I interrupt? Sorry, so, so you're forced to buy these things. You see, that's when I look at the client's portfolio and I go, I don't want to be forced into buying anything. I mean, if I can buy a, an offshore company, a P of 20 forward, versus this SA retail on a Ford P of 21, I know what I'd be rather be doing. You know, and just, you know, back to Woolies, I mean, you clearly know the company really well, and I don't, but, but just as an anecdotal issue, I walk into Woolies, and you've got certain LSM groupings buying their food, and certain LSM groupings buying their clothing, and I don't always think they're very similar, so I think there's also an issue around that, because I don't think they quite know who their customer is anymore when you walk into Woolies, and that's just a, a very anecdotal comment. Sorry, Bono, if you wanted to say something? No, I wanted to get your take on the US, on Biden, because... Okay, well, I think... I mean, look, let's be honest, I, I think Biden's looking incredibly weak at the moment. Um, Afghanistan is not his finest hour, and he keeps talking about still taking out the troops on the 31st, and we saw what's happening yesterday, horrific scenes of damage and carnage and, you know, people dying, it's just awful. But, but the true reality is, what do the Americans care about? They care about fiscal spending. I mean, that's what they actually care about, and he's about to do another huge infrastructure package, and hopefully go through in September, 
So I think Biden's Afghanistan news will be old news, sadly, within a few weeks. What's much more important is the strength of the US economy. And it continues to look incredibly strong. I mean, we've got Jackson Hall this weekend, right? The next few days. I actually bizarrely think tapering will be good for the markets. And here's my bizarre take on it. Because it actually means the economy is strong enough to withstand the reduction of massive quantitative easing. If they continue to pump liquidity, they're actually telling consumers, by the way, the economy is terrible. We have to keep pushing more and more liquidity into the system. So that's my tiny take on it. Sorry, Bronwyn. Yeah, well, there's, there's also the, um, the the fact that you're addicted. You as financial um, market participants, you're addicted to what the Fed has been giving you every single year since 2008 and a little bit beyond there as well. So there will be a shock when it first happens and then everyone will, will get over it and it won't be like an Afghan pullout. It'll be a gradual pullout uh, of this liquidity. So don't worry too much about that. And talking about the United States, um, uh, Joanne and Gary, I saw an interview with the CEO of Maersk, the giant logistics and shipping company. Uh, with with Richard Quest from CNN, they sat down together, and you could see how happy he was. He just he couldn't stop talking about the fact that the demand for his services are so massive, and he highlighted the United States of America. He said there's there's genuine demand, and there's also inventory rebuild. So I think this has got a, a while to go, and that ties into South Africa, of course, because of um, because of commodity demand. That's my two cents worth, Roman. Well, we need to go to hot stocks. Um, and uh, Joanne, I'm going to give you a hot territory. I mean, obviously, you've got the global market at your disposal. So you can tell us where we should be taking our money and, and placing it offshore. Gary, let's start with you. Give me a couple of hot stocks that you're looking at at the moment. Mm, okay, I don't know if it's a hot stock, but but certainly a stock that that's that's interesting and, and has done fairly well despite all the issues is something like Distel. Um, you know, obviously we had we had the news out uh, today that, or not at least uh, earlier in the week, saying that uh, you know the, the, the deal with Heineken is, is probably going to conclude. So it's been trading under cautionary for a long time. The stock price has moved up, but I mean, if you look at the underlying <coughs> headline earnings, I mean, a recovery from two rand thirty five last period to seven rand sixty nine in, in earnings uh, this this time around. I mean, absolutely solid. I was actually driving. I was driving into work this morning and, and, and then I got this. So I, th I thought it was kind of a sign. Someone handed out a, a zero alcohol. I just got, got a bit in traffic. Did you get to see that? Show him again. He, he missed it. He yeah. was looking down. There we actually, go. I actually also found out that it's, it's National Take a Beer to Work Day. <laughs> so, so I, I like I like the story around Estelle at the moment. Obviously, they've got some some really solid brands in Savannah and Clip Drift. It's the world's second biggest cider producer. Um, the business is very very solid. Um, obviously, it's got the Heineken deal. We we still don't quite know where the, the deal is going to conclude because they're still negotiating over the fine points. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's a, it's it's certainly a, yes, it's a, it's a company that has dressed up its earnings, has paid down a lot of debt as well. The, the, the results are looking absolutely spectacular, but that's obviously because the management team is going to Heineken, putting on you know putting its best foot forward and trying to get shareholders the the best exit price they possibly can. Okay, that's your first one. Is there another one, or do we go to Joanne now, Bronwyn? No, I can, I can yeah. give you. I'll give you an offshore one as well. Another one so, from Gary, and then go to Joanne. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, we, we really like, I mean, in, in the, the healthcare space, we, we did a, a comparison of the healthcare sector for clients uh, recently, where we just compared Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, and Pfizer. And uh, for me, Pfizer looks incredibly exciting. I mean, we, we've kind of had it in the portfolio for quite a while. I mean, if you look at what the share price has done over the last little bit, uh, it's been absolutely spectacular. Joanne was talking about, you know, buy the rumor, sell the facts. And it was almost the case when it got the FDA approval for the COVID vaccine uh, earlier, earlier this, I think it was this week as well. Um, you know, the stock price has come off a little bit uh, from where it is. I think on any weakness you can buy into Pfizer at this stage. I mean, you know, looking at a forward, forward earnings uh, out one year, straight on about a 13, 13 times earnings, uh, forward earnings at least. So that is very, very cheap compared to what it's doing. It's obviously got all the mRNA technology in it as well. Uh, they're talking about in Q3 already already pursuing, uh, you know, an mRNA vaccine for, for basic influenza. So, yeah, I think there's the, the technology that they've developed uh, in, in conjunction with BioNTech around the vaccine uh, has much wider application that, that could be potentially a lot more profitable for the business. Not expensive, you know, an absolute juggernaut in the pharma space and well worth adding to portfolios. Joanne, the hottest investing geography. Okay, I think if your risk appetite is fairly high, one has to look at Asian equities. Um, we saw this week a Bloomberg announcement that Asian equities have their worst performance versus the S&P since 1998. So truly horrific year for Asian equities. We know all about Chinese regulation. You guys would have chatted about that on the show many times. So I think if you're a high-risk investor, I think putting a lot of money into Asia now makes sense. Uh, if you're a little bit more risk adverse, uh, we like Europe and the UK, just from a value perspective. Like I think in the third and fourth quarter of this year starts coming back to value. Um, tapering will actually be good for value shares because it means economic growth is coming through. We, we've seen a rally in the in the Nasdaq recently. I think we can maybe see change direction uh, and go towards Europe and UK. You're going to close the show there, Lindsay Williams. Yes, I am. Actually, I just need to say to Gary, I see, need to say to Gary, look, I live in the Netherlands, right? And anywhere, I mean, if I look out my window now, there's a Heineken sign somewhere flashing away at me. It's bad enough with alcohol. Without alcohol, it is truly, truly terrible. But that's it's a fine, fine company. If anyone's invested in it, please, please, please stick with it. But anyway, Gary Zero Beer Boyson is from Rand Swiss. Joanne Groundhog Day Bainham is from Sterling Wealth in Cape Town. And of course, Bronwyn Nielsen, the straw that stirs the drink, is in Johannesburg. Where are you? No, somewhere else. But anyway, that was the business of money. We'll be back same time next week. Thanks, everybody.